If that song doesn't get you excited to be uh, worshiping the Lord, I don't know what will, huh? The power of the cross. In fact, that instantly made me think of, and it perhaps made you think of, 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? It's the power of God. Uh, and so to many it's foolishness, others it's a stumbling block, uh, but it is the power of God, the power of the cross. And we are a cross-centered church. Uh, we are a church that preaches Christ and Christ crucified and Christ risen, that there's no hope, no, no salvation outside of Christ. And we are uh, just in awe of the cross and the love of Christ demonstrated there. Uh, so we are glad you are here uh, to worship uh, that risen Savior with us uh, and to just boast in his name and all that he has done for us. Uh, just a few announcements uh, this morning as we uh, do move forward in, in the worship service. Uh, the first one is, I'm just asking that you keep in mind for July 12th uh, that we are planning an uh, outdoor service right across the street. Uh, we're going to have tents set up, uh, but we are asking that you bring your own chair and bring your own meat or picnic, whatever it is you want to eat for the picnic. Maybe meat might be hard to do, then we'd have to have a grill. But bring, bring something for your family to eat, okay? So it's kind of like a modified potluck. That's what Dave Stout was calling it. Uh, <clears throat> so that's, that's the 12th. Uh, again, that's across the street. Bring your own chair. Uh, bring your own picnic. Uh, and bring also something you would like to share with everyone and how the Lord's been working in your life, something to celebrate uh, as, as a church body. So that's the 12th. Uh, there's two more announcements. The first one's from Clarine about Orangeville Day. Then after that is Rebecca. I saw Rebecca somewhere. Are you still giving an announcement, Rebecca? All right. So you got to wear that. Oh, I have to wear that? Okay, why don't I hold that? Okay, uh, two weeks from yesterday, not very far away. So not this Saturday, but the Saturday following will be Orangeville Day. And our church has been asked to do the kids' games for basically 10, on, 10 years old and on down. And so we would like to make a really good showing to our community. I realize that the shower for Savannah is that morning. We, um, so that's at 10.30. So the games will run from noon to 4. So ladies, take off your pretty coals and come over there and help me out. Um, and we also want you, maybe you have a friend in the, or a neighbor or a relative, a cousin, somebody, that you would like to say, why don't you come run a game with me? That's a way we can offer friendship to the community, bring them in, see that we're not creepy people, and maybe get them to come to church. And if you're still not convinced that this is something to do, the church is going to give you a free shirt to wear. So you need to let me know what your size is, and if that isn't enough incentive, for every hour you volunteer, here it comes, guys, I'm going to give you a coupon, and that coupon is going to get you a water balloon at the end of the event. And we're going to have the biggest water balloon fight in Orangeville history. Um, if you signed up to do prizes and you haven't purchased them yet, please don't do that. The township has given me a budget finally, so that will be funded by the township. And today, uh, we need a couple of guys to help. That handsome guy right there, raise your hand. That's him. That's my husband. There's a couple of props over in the old building that need to be moved into a trailer, and he needs your help doing that. So a couple of guys see him. I'm not going to tell you what the props are because then you won't want to volunteer. Okay, I'm done. Thank you.
Well, Clarion kind of said it, but we are finally hosting Savannah's Bridal Shower next Saturday, the same day as Orangeville Days at 1030 in the morning here at the church. And Savannah would like you women to bring your tried and true recipe um, so she can cook more. So if you could do that. Um, and also we break tradition in our family because we have so many, I have so many sons. And if you want to bring your significant other, your husband, boyfriend, please do that. Um, you're welcome to do that. My daughter-in-law is even making a game just for the men. So that's going to be not this Saturday, but next Saturday. So thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. All right. Well, today we get a, a joy and a privilege to celebrate our single graduate. Um, Claire Phillips has just graduated from high school in Delton. So she's walking up here, and we have a gift for her. Why don't we give her a round of applause? Yeah, so we have a gift for her that we'd like to share with her. Um, but first, I asked her uh, if there's one thing you could share with your fellow students as they continue in high school, as they, as they look forward to being here you know, next year or the year after that, what would you tell them? So she was going to share a couple words about kind of what God has been teaching her during her high school years, and then we have a gift for you. Sound good? Can you wear this? Uh, yeah, I can just hold it. Hey, uh, can you hear me? Oh, no, that one? Okay. Sorry, it's, it's for the online folks. Oh. All right, so I wrote it down because if I don't write it down, I'm just going to ramble. Um, but I've learned not to plan life so rigidly. God will let you know where he wants you to be in life. So don't be hesitant to follow in the direction that wasn't in your script. He knows exactly where you belong. The Lord is our shepherd. So we have a study Bible for you here. It's, it's called the Biblical Theology Study Bible. Um, this is the top-end study Bible out there as far as like the, the scholarship behind it. It's written by D.A. Carson and a bunch of his friends, if you guys know who D.A. Carson is. And we're giving this to you because we want you to continue in your walk with Christ going deeper and deeper until someday, hopefully, you, you know him as, as much as who he is. And so this Bible is kind of for you as you go into that. If you don't like pink, I got you a, a second option. Are you a fan of pink? No, I'm okay with pink. Okay, awesome, <laughs> cool. Um, so I'm going to pray for Claire here and then pray for the church. And I'd invite you to just join me as we come before our God this morning. God, we're thank you, thankful to you of just all the mercies you give us, the grace that you give us. Um, the, the fact that you have chosen each one of us before the beginning of the world uh, to make us holy and blameless before you. And I just pray for Claire right now. As she's looking forward to a lot of unknowns uh, coming up here in life, a lot of questions that need to be answered, um, that she would just keep her eyes on you, that she would remember that you did choose her and that you have a plan for her life and that you who began a good work in her would finish it. Um, would be pleased to finish it at the day of Christ Jesus. So we're thankful for her, Lord, and everything that you've been doing in her life. Um, we're just excited to see what, what you do in her life and where you take her. Lord, I also pray for the church body that we'd come around our graduates and we'd build into them. Um, we wouldn't let them fall off the, the map, as, so to speak, as soon as they graduate high school, but we'd continue to plug them in, get, uh, get to know them. Um, I pray 
uh, that we'd have that kind of community in our church of discipling others' people. And God, I also thank you for the, the book we've been going through in our groups, our growth groups. Um, thank you for Steve Virus uh, for his passion for outreach. Um, I thank you that he's given us this, this tool that we can study together. I pray, Lord, that as we read that book, that it would just become, uh, that, that you'd crack our hearts open and that you would, you'd cause us to long and, and, and desire to be used by you to love our community the way that you showed your love for us. And so please, God, as, as we study that in our groups, I pray that that would be effective and fruitful. Lord, I also pray for our church body as a whole. Um, there are a lot of people that are suffering and um, who have sicknesses. And I just wanted to mention a few of those to you, Lord, right now. Uh, first of all, I'm thankful for Tim Cornish and all of the blessing he is to our church. But please be with him in, in his healing with his knee as, as that continues to heal. I also pray, Lord, for my mom as my mom is in the hospital and recovering from her surgery. Lord, we also pray for Rob Bradshaw, and uh, as he's feeling very weak at this time, that you'd give him strength of spirit, uh, that you'd help him through each day. We also pray for Cindy Twitchell's mom, Imogene. Imogene, I'm thankful that uh, you have chosen to work in her heart and to, to bring her to you but we see that she now has COVID and she's very scared about this. And I just pray for her that you give her strength. Um, also, we pray for Penny's brother, Ron, in the hospital uh, with some, some abdominal pains, Lord, that have been pretty severe. I pray that you just comfort him and help him through that. Lastly, Lord, we, we want to lift our eyes to you because the country and the time we live in is a very divided and broken time. Uh, so many people just fighting and shouting their opinion as loud as they can. And I pray that as we as a church uh, engage our community, that we could continually be more and more um, full of grace in the way we do that. that, that we would show them what it means to be like Jesus. And I, I pray that you'd work in our country, that you'd, um, you'd solve the the division and the uh, that you'd help the leaders that are in place, uh, Trump, uh, his cabinet, as they work to suppress the riots that are happening as they work with COVID. Lord, we pray for Florida right now as they have experienced a huge spike in, in COVID-19 um, down there. I pray for their government. Lord, I pray for Governor Whitmer as she leads us, as she leads our, our state, I pray, Lord, firstly, that you would save her, that you would work in her heart, bring her to you, um, change her heart. But secondly, I pray, Lord, that you would also work in her and, and in her cabinet to, to govern us well. And I pray that we would submit to that government. And Lord, I also finally want to pray for our world, um, which the U.S. is just one, one broken country, and there's, a, there's 360 other broken countries out there. And, and Lord, we all need Christ. So I pray that you would work through us as a church globally, as, as your sons and daughters, that we'd be lights. And I pray for our missionaries specifically today, Lord. Uh, I pray for H Hannah and Emmanuel as they serve you. 
Um, just continue to bless their ministry, make it more fruitful. I pray also for our stateside missionaries, uh, the Cornishes, um, the Torreses. I, I pray for Emily and Greg Rincon as they serve you in the Dominican Republic. Um, I just ask that all of these ministries you would you'd be at work in and that they would bear fruit for your name and for your kingdom and for your glory. So we're thankful, Lord, that we get to be here today. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Your copies of God's word and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we're looking at verses 5 through 11 this morning. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. Verses 5 through 11. And God's word says this to us this morning, starting in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. <clears throat> For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the reading of God's good and perfect word. And all God's people say... Amen. Please bow with me in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we ask now for your Spirit and his... Uh, well, Lord, we thank you for the Spirit's help uh, already as we've been worshiping you through song. We just pray for uh, more of your Spirit's help as we now look to your Word and continue our worship through the preaching of your Word. Give, uh, give me words from you. Uh, help me to preach in the power of the Spirit. And Lord, we pray for each one of us here, and myself included, give us ears to hear. Uh, give us hearts to receive it. Uh, give us uh, an attitude of humility that receives your word with all meekness, that we might hear it, receive it, and do it, and put it into practice. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> uh, perhaps when you were growing up, you had an experience similar to mine. Uh, for my family, growing up, around holiday times, let's say Thanksgiving, there was a table for the kids and a table for the adults. Anyone else have that experience? Growing up at the kids' table and eating at the kids' table. Uh, it was almost like a, a rite of passage when you could finally graduate uh, from the, the little kids' table to the, do I say the big kids? I don't know, the, the, adult, the adult table. Uh, but imagine... Uh, one of those holiday gatherings, if you can picture that in, in your mind, and I, I know it's kind of brutal to, to picture Thanksgiving uh, because it kind of starts to make us hungry, right? But if you can just bear with me, imagine it's, it's, it's one of these holidays, maybe it's Thanksgiving, and there's at the kids' table uh, some three or four-year-olds, and they have their sippy cups. Uh, they're probably spilling food all over the place. 
Maybe there's some kids who are six or seven, a little bit older, still, still at that age where they like, like to goof off, uh, and that would all be perfectly normal. Uh, but what if there was also, sitting at that table, your Uncle Jeff, your 50-year-old Uncle Jeff, uh, sitting at the kids' table with a bib and a sippy cup, and he's spilling food all over the place. There's something not right with that picture, yes? There's something wrong with that picture. Uh, behavior like that is absolutely acceptable and normal and fun uh, for, for children, little children, but at some point you are expected to grow up, uh, to, to mature. Uh, and the same is true of the Christian life. When you first come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches that you are a spiritual infant, a spiritual baby. That's expected. There, there's nothing wrong with that. But at some point, as a spiritual Christian, we are to be, you are to be growing up. You are to be maturing in the Lord. And if you're not, if you're not growing, if you're not maturing, you're as out of place as Uncle Jeff sitting at that little kid's table. So the question before you and before myself this morning is, are you growing in Christ? Are you growing in Christ? Are you becoming more and more like the Savior? Do you find that you're no longer upset by the same things you used to get upset by a few years ago? Do you find that you have more of the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ in trying circumstances than you used to have perhaps a few years ago? Do you love people more? Uh, do you find that a love for God's Word is stirring deeper and more passionately within your heart more and more with each, with each passing day? Uh, do you find yourself more bold in sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, with loved ones, with neighbors, with co-workers, wherever you can, wherever you can. Are you growing? Are you growing in the Lord Jesus Christ? And as you can probably already guess, the subject this morning is about that. Spiritual growth, becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And recall with me that we're going through our discipleship pathway. And I hope by now that these four B's are becoming very, very familiar to you. Uh, remember the four B's. It's believe belong, become, and build. And so this morning we're on that third one, become. But what, what I hope you're seeing is how they build on each other. And actually inside your bulletin is that extra insert uh, that has a picture of, 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 of all four of them and how they, they keep pushing towards uh, each other. Uh, but I want you to see how these, these four Bs build on each other. So believe. <clears throat> the first step to following Jesus is... You must recognize your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must believe upon him. And the moment you do so, you are a spiritual infant. And that's a wonderful thing. Just like when we as a family celebrate uh, when uh, a loved one has a child, uh, so we also celebrate when a child, a man or a woman, confesses their sin and places faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's believe. And once you believe, comes belong. When you, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you belong to God's people. You are instantly made a part of His church, of His family, of His people. God does not intend for you to walk the Christian life alone. So He gives you a spiritual family to love and encourage 
uh, you in your walk with the Lord. So you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You belong to his body of believers, a local body of believers, universally and locally. And then comes become. Right? Believe, belong, become. It's not just enough to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be part of a body of believers. God wants you to grow. He wants you to grow and become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. God does not want you to stay an infant in Christ. And you can look at 1 Corinthians 3.1 or Hebrews 5.14 and, and a couple other passages where, where there's actually a mild rebuke or maybe stronger than a mild rebuke that, that they're still infants in Christ and shouldn't be. By now they should have grown. Uh, so what the Lord wants for you and for me is for this lifelong pursuit of following the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we here at Orangeville Baptist Church, yes, we want the church to grow in number, but that's not all we want. We want the church to grow in spiritual depth. Amen? It's not just about reaching the lost. That's crucial, yes. But once we reach them, we need to come alongside them and encourage them to become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what becoming is about. We want ministry that is broad and deep. We want quantity and quality. So the biblical words for becoming are words like sanctification or holiness. Those are very important doctrines in the Bible. Uh, we love to talk about when we got saved. That's justification, yes? And we love to think about, and we long for the day when the Lord will return and we will live and reign with Him. That's glorification. That's yet to come. But what about the days in between? What about the process of becoming more like Jesus Christ? And that's the subject this morning. Sanctification. Holiness, Christian growth, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. That's my need and that's your need. Uh, whether you've been saved for a year uh, or if you've been saved for a hundred years, <laughs> uh, you still need Christ. You still need to grow in Christ-likeness. And how do we do that? And that's what this text unfolds for us. So point number one this morning, pursue Christ-likeness Actively, And we find that from verses 5 through 7. Pursue Christ-likeness actively. And you'll see in verse 5, it begins with these words, For this very reason. It is critical, critical that we understand the connection between verses 5 through 11 with what precedes in verses 3 and 4. So I'm going to read verses 3 and 4 of 2 Peter 1. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the sinful uh, desire. So verses 5 through 7 call upon you and I to spare no energy when it comes to becoming more like Jesus Christ. We are to make every effort to be like Jesus Christ. Verses 3 and 4 explain how we do that and why we do that. Verses 3 and 4 explain that a life of godliness, a life of pursuing Jesus and being more like Him, is a life built on grace. Verses 3 and 4 are grace. Verses 3 and 4 is God's grace in giving us His divine power and His divine promises. 
So verses 3 and 4 explain that a life of godliness is rooted in a life of God's grace. So we should actively strive to be more like Christ because God has graciously given us everything we need for life and godliness. You have to make that connection. It's not us doing that in our own strength. We're doing this by grace. So verses 3 and 4 are grace. Verses 5 through 7 are the demand. There's no command in verses 3 and 4, right? Verses 3 and 4 is what God has done. God did this. God did this. God did this. Verses 5 through 7, for this reason, do this, right? So verses 5 through 7 are the demand. Verses 3 and 4 are the grace. And the grace found in verses 3 and 4 do not cancel out human effort. The grace in verses 3 and 4 energize human efforts. We need to see that, that, that that's crucial in your Christian life. The grace that is found in verses 3 and 4 should put a fire in your bones to make every effort to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. If we can summarize it this way, when it says, for this very reason, what it's saying is you and I should pursue a godly life because God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. That's the idea. God has given us the power for godliness. Now, therefore, strive to be godly. So for that very reason, make every effort. Make every effort, it says. There's no place for stagnant faith. uh, No place for the, the lazy Christian. No place for sitting back and just waiting for growth to happen uh, without effort, without uh, change. Growth, becoming more like Christ, does not just magically happen. We wish it would, but it doesn't. Uh, What does it require? How does it happen? How do we become more like Jesus Christ? What's verse 5 say? Make every effort. Make every effort. Other ways we can say that is do your best. Uh, put, put your zeal into it. Bring all of your strength to bear upon this. Try, try as hard as possible. Becoming like Christ takes every bit of energy that you can muster. Every bit of effort you can throw at it. It takes intense effort. Growth in Christ-likeness is of utmost importance and therefore deserves utmost effort. That's what verse 5 is saying. Do you want to grow as a Christian? Do you want to be more like Jesus Christ? I know I do. I want to be as godly and as holy and as Christ-like as I can be on this side of the glory. And, and you say, man, Pastor, you have a long ways to go. I know I do. Amen to that. Uh, a long ways to go. Uh, but I want to make every effort that I can, and I need your help doing that, and we all need each other's help to grow and become who God desires us to be by His grace and for His glory. So my one pure and holy passion is to know and follow hard after Jesus Christ, and I, I hope and I believe that is yours today if, if you're here this morning. So how does that happen? Does it happen intravenously? That'd be kind of nice, Right? You could just kind of go somewhere and they stick a needle in your arm and they pump Jesus in. Uh, but it doesn't happen that way. You can't wish it to happen. How does it happen? What's verse 5 say? Make every effort. Strive for it. Supplement it. And that's a fascinating word, the word supplement. Uh, it's actually the word from which, believe it or not, we derive the word chorus from. Uh, the reason for that is because it's based on, uh, in, in the Greek dramas and plays, 
and the, the choir leader, the one who would lead those dramas and those plays in the, in the Greek world, not only did they pay uh, to rent the stage, but they would also pay uh, for all the expenses of all the actors. And so the word chorus, or that word supplement that's there, actually means to pay at your own expense. And so you can see it's another way that the Word of God is emphasizing that this takes effort. This takes everything you can expend. Uh, this, this takes all your strength and energy. It's like Peter's pulling out all the stops and throwing at every word he can think of to get the point across that if you want to become more like Christ, you need to make every effort. And you need to supplement these, these eight virtues, uh, these eight Christ-like characteristics that we find in verses 5 through 7. Uh, Christ-like qualities for us to aim for and grow in. And, and before we go through those, I, I just want to give a word about this list, because you can see how it, how it builds, right? It says, supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and it keeps building, and there, there's eight of them. Uh, some, as they've read this, have sought to find a chronological order in it, um, I don't think there's a chronological order here. There, there's lots of lists in the Bibles with qualities like these, and they're often in different orders. Uh, so I don't think when we read this that it's chronological. Uh, is it logical? Yes, they definitely build on each other. It's significant that it starts with faith. Everything starts with faith. And it's significant that it ends with love, because uh, that's the end goal of faith, right? That's, that's the, the, the greatest virtue there is, love. Uh, but I don't think they're chronological. What, what I mean by that is, the point of the list is not to say that before you can move on to self-control, you have to have knowledge 100% nailed down. It's not saying that. It's, it's not saying that before you can uh, be practicing brotherly kindness, that you have to first make sure that you have godliness 100% nailed down. Uh, so, so the point of this is not so someone can say, Pastor Andrew, you can't expect me to persevere because I don't have self-control yet. You can't expect me to love others because I don't have excellence yet. That, that, that's not the point of the text. It's not chronological. I, I believe every Christian should possess every one of these qualities. And every Christian should be striving to grow in each one of them. And I say that because of verse 8. Verse 8 says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... You see? God's Word expects all of us to have them and to be increasing in them. It's not you have to work on one before you can work on the other one. We're working on all of them. We're always and ever striving to pursue in and grow in Christ-likeness. So the very first one, faith. We've talked a lot about that uh, in the last few weeks. But faith, uh, faith is the absolute starting point of, of growth. You must place your faith, your confidence, your trust, your all into the Lord Jesus Christ. As such, it's the basis of your spiritual life. It's the root from which all these other qualities are going to grow out of. The one after faith uh, says in verse 5, you must supplement your faith with virtue. Or your translation might have the word excellence. That's actually literally what that word means, excellence. Uh, Peter's already used it in verse 3 to describe God, where it says in verse 3 that God has called us to his own glory and excellence. It's the same word. In Philippians 4.8, we are told to think on whatever is of excellence. Uh, in 1 Peter 2.9, we are told that God saves us so that we might proclaim the what? The excellencies of God. The idea, that, the idea is that all Christians should excel in what they do. 
whatever you're doing, uh, whatever your, your vocation, whatever your, your day-to-day life is, you should strive to do it with excellence. That, that's the idea that's there. If, if you're a doctor, excel at it. If, if you're a lawyer, excel at it. If you're a politician, excel at it for, for the glory of Christ. If you're a preacher, excel in it. That list just goes on and on and on, right? Whatever uh, your life situation, excel in it. Don't settle, press forward, advance in Christ-likeness. Do it to his praise and to his glory. Uh, to virtue or excellence, we should add knowledge. That's the third one. Uh, God has given us minds. Uh, we should be muscle heads uh, when it comes to God's word. He's given us minds to think on him, uh, to think on the truths that are found in his word, to think on his son, uh, to think upon how it teaches us about ourselves. If you want to grow in Christ-likeness, you must have a hunger and a desire to grow in your understanding of God's word. You must apply your mind with all diligence to understanding God's word. Remember the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and what? Your mind. It's the second greatest commandment. If you would grow in your walk with Christ, you must love him with all of your mind. You must know him. You must study the Bible. Even, even Leviticus. <laughs> uh, even Deuteronomy or Numbers. That's all there for our spiritual edification and profit. Amen? In fact, there's far more value if you're tired of watching the news, there's far more value in reading all those names and numbers than there is in whatever's being said on the news. Amen? Amen? We need to dig deep into God's Word, think hard on God's Word, grow in our understanding of God's Word. But, but beware, this, this is not knowledge for knowledge's sake. Uh, it is to be turned into practical action. Your knowledge should be producing Jesus within you. Having knowledge of theology is great if we're taking a test, but it amounts to nothing if you are not applying it in your day-to-day life. A true knowledge of Jesus Christ should always spark within you an unquenchable thirst to know God more and more and more, but it should also correspondingly and simultaneously produce within you a deeper love for others and a desire to serve others and to change and be more like Jesus Christ. If knowledge of God's Word doesn't lead to increased love for others and increased Christ-likeness, something's way off. It's useless. Who would you say is more mature? The person who knows a hundred things about God and applies one of those things to his life, or someone who knows two things about God and applies both those things to his life. It's the one who knows two and applies those both, right? But we don't settle for that, right? If we know two, we should aim for three. And if we know three, we should keep building and growing, right? We should want to know him more and more and more and live in light of that knowledge. As we add to our knowledge, we add self-control. Self-control means in regard to your passions, your emotions, your impulses, your desires, they should all be under control. Uh, The Bible stresses this repeatedly. It's a fruit of the Spirit, right? It's self-control. Proverbs 25, 28, we read, A person without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. You know, it really hit me because I just read that verse 
And then I, I see a video moments after, it was, it was very providential. Uh, reading that verse, I'll read it again. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. I read that and a few moments later I saw a video of someone driving down Minneapolis, Minnesota. And they had their, their camera, their phone out, and you could see all sorts of buildings on fire. You could see graffiti everywhere. Just sheer chaos. If you want a, a good modern day parable or illustration of what no self-control leads to, Watch one of those videos of Minneapolis. Uh, Paul put in his letters, uh, would often put in his letters, would compare the Christian life to that of being an athlete. And just think about the life of an athlete, because that, that's, that's a great analogy for the Christian life. The life of an athlete has to say no to junk food in order to keep in shape. The life of an athlete has to, has to exercise and discipline himself or herself even when he doesn't feel like uh, doing so. The Christian life is the same. Uh, we must practice self-mastery over our passions, our emotions, our impulses, our desires. After that is steadfastness. Uh, how many of you at this point are willing to say, I am over this pandemic? <laughs> how many of you are willing to say, I'm over with 2020? <laughs> uh, in fact, again, I, I, I think it was on Facebook, I saw it made me laugh pretty good. Uh, this picture of a door, it says July 2020 on it. Uh, there's a group, maybe you've seen it, a group of people kind of hiding around the corner and they have a broomstick or something in their hands and they're super slowly, carefully opening up July. Like, what's, what's July going to bring? <laughs> uh, just seems to keep piling, right? Uh, it, what we have seen in, in 2020 is total depravity with a capital T. Amen. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing the world going unhinged. We're seeing what happens when you take a world and a civilization and a people and uproot them from this. That, that, that's what we're seeing. Uh, and what we need in this day and age is steadfastness. We need steadfastness. And that word steadfast means to stay under. Quite literally, that's what it means, to stay under. It means to not give up, to not give in, to be unswerving in your purpose, even under great trial and suffering. Where does this steadfastness come from? It doesn't come from us. It comes from verses 3 and 4. God's grace, remember he's given us all the power and all the promises to live this life that pleases him. And so we're able to endure, we're able to stay under these things without complaining. We're even able to have joy in the midst of these things because we know God's promises. We know the God our Father has given us all that we need for life and godliness. And of course that leads to the sixth characteristic of godliness, uh, the Apostle Paul loves that word. If you want to understand it better, go read the pastoral epistles. He uses it over and over and over again. That's all I'm going to say about that one. And then brotherly affection, number seven. Uh, if you've ever been to Philadelphia, uh, Josiah and I, my wife, we went to a school that was about a couple hours north of Philadelphia. My parents currently live a couple hours west of Philadelphia. And where I'm going with that is Philadelphia means what? The city of brotherly love. That's the word that's here when it says brotherly kindness. It's Philadelphian. Be a Philadelphian. Uh, have brotherly affection, brotherly care for others. Remember last week we talked about how we need to belong and that God gives us a spiritual family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we have this family-like devotion towards one another. We need to excel in that and supplement uh, that to our faith. And that leads to love. The eighth and final and capstone of these eight virtues is love. Uh, not only are we to love our fellow Christians, we are to love everyone. 
even our enemies. Even our enemies. Love, we're told in 1 Corinthians 13, is the most excellent way. I did a little thinking on this and just got, got wondering, like, what, what would it look like if we apply love to our current pandemic? What would it look like if we apply love uh, to, the, to the crisis that is around us? Well, I think if you apply it to the pandemic and we apply this mentality of love and seeking to grow in this, I think what that means is we continue to follow the social distancing guidelines. And I think it means we do that without complaining. I think it means we do that with joy. We bear up under it with all steadfastness and God gives us the strength to do that. We do that because we understand that there are those who could contract it and could die or be very, very sick. And so the loving thing to do is, is to wear the mask, right? When you're in uh, enclosed spaces. The loving thing to do is, is to practice those guidelines. I think another way we practice this is by loving our healthcare workers and government workers. What about uh, the showing love during a tragedy like, like the murder of George Floyd? How, how does it play out there? And this ties in a little bit from last week, but I think it starts here. We show love to everyone, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of the shade of their skin. Amen? What difference does the shade of someone's skin have to do with loving? It should make no difference, should it? We are all made in God's image. Uh, we are all uh, <clears throat> needed to love one another with the love of Christ. I think we should show love not just to black lives, but to blue lives. We should show love to law enforcement and first responders who are being treated unfairly and very unjustly. I think we show love by listening well, but especially by proclaiming the gospel. That's the hope. That's, that's the hope. Yes, we know man's greatest need and hope is Jesus. So as, as you lovingly discuss and listen about some of the social issues, you also take advantage of every opportunity to get the gospel in there, to affirm the gospel, to affirm Christ, because that's our hope, that's our salvation. That's the most loving thing to do, is to talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Are you still with me? One person is. I know Arden's always with me. <laughs> <clears throat> it's a long list, isn't it? Those eight characteristics. Maybe going through it overwhelms you. Maybe it even discourages you as you think through that list. It's, it's not hard to, to read a list like that and hear about what it means and just almost kind of just feel like an utter failure. <laughs> right? You, you love Jesus, you, you want to grow, you want to be more like him, but when you look at that list and, and where you are, you're just kind of like, man, it can be discouraging for honest. Faith, I have that, but virtue, trust me, you don't want to hear about it. Knowledge, I don't even know what I can remember. Self-control, don't get me started. Perseverance, I gave up on that one a long time ago. Godliness, I'm barely human most of the time. Brotherly kindness, yeah, right, just ask my brothers and sisters. Love, I think you can guess how I'm doing on that one. Does that describe you? Is that maybe how you feel through that list? Do you ever feel that way? Do you, do you feel like you're on a spiritual treadmill going nowhere, chasing your own tail? And that's why I started by emphasizing that opening phrase, for this very reason. Because those words make all the difference. Those words point back to the grace of God that empowers you to make every effort and grow and keep on keeping on and changing and becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this quote from uh, the great Scottish Bible expositor Alexander McLaren. That's M-A-C-L-A-R-E-N, Alexander McLaren. Uh, he once said it this way. 
This, this quote is, is amazing, I think applies beautifully to this text. He says, we may have as much of God as we will. Christ puts the key of the treasure chamber into our hand and bids us take all that we want. If a man is admitted into the bank and told to help himself and comes out with one penny, whose fault is that that he is poor? That's pretty powerful. And that's exactly what this text is saying in verses 3 and 4. God is opening up his vault. He's opening up his bank, his treasures, the riches of his power and his promises. And he's saying to you, you can have all of it that you want. Take what you will. Take what you will. And sometimes I think we're content to just walk out of there with a penny. It's amazing, isn't it? His grace. He is, he is saying to us, we may have as much as God as we want. We may grow in Christ-likeness just as, as much as we want. As much effort as we put into it, we will grow in Christ. So don't settle for the penny. Don't settle for the penny. Make every effort to grow in Christ. In light of the riches of God's grace and the treasures of his promises and his power, make every effort. There's no place for laziness. Remember how Jesus rebukes the lukewarm, complacent church of Laodicea. You can read it in Revelation 3, 15 and 16, where Jesus says to his church, I know your works. They're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and you're not hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's what Christ says about spiritual complacency. It makes him vomit. So, so far from being lazy, we are to be full of zeal in our pursuit of Christ-likeness. We are to have excited fervor, extraordinary commitment, optimum devotion. We're not to settle into comfortable, shallow ruts. We're to keep our spiritual temperature and fervor burning hot and high. So let me ask you, are you making every effort to grow in godliness, or are you hardly making any efforts? Listen, being saved by Jesus Christ and being conformed into his image, becoming like Jesus day by day, moment by moment, step by step, it doesn't get any better than that. Amen? It doesn't get any better than that. that that's the greatest thing in the world. That's why God saved you. To, to be a Christian means that God in his divine power has granted to you all that you need for life and godliness. It means God has called you to his glory and excellence. It means God has made you a partaker of divine nature. It means you can never die. It means you have eternal life. It means your sins are forgiven. It means you will live forever with overwhelming joy in the presence of God. It means nothing can separate you from his love. It means everything in your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it, God, is at work in for His glory and your good. Becoming like Jesus is the greatest thing in all the world. Now is the time to stop sitting, to stop being complacent. Uh, now, now is not the time to, to hold nothing back, to, to be lazy. Now is the time to be hot. God wants you to have a, a godly zeal, a pure and holy passion, an unceasing effort to grow in Christ. Another quote, this time from, from Jim Elliott. If you're familiar with him, he's, he's the one who was martyred by the Aka Indians, <clears throat> uh, seeking to share the gospel of Jesus with them. Before he went, uh, quite a while before he went actually, he, he wrote in his journal, uh, quote, uh, God, I pray thee, 
Light these idle sticks of my life, that I may burn for you. Consume my life, my God, for it is yours. I seek, now think about these words, I seek not a long life, but a full one, like you, Lord Jesus. Light my life, these idle sticks of my life, that I may burn for you. Is that, is that, is that your heartbeat this morning? Is that your heartbeat? Do you want to be more like Jesus Christ? Make every effort. Make every effort. Point number two, the benefits of pursuing Christ-likeness actively. We saw that we are to be pursuing Christ-likeness actively. Uh, let's see the benefits in verses 8 through 11. There are four of them. There are four benefits uh, to living this, this kind of life in, in verses 8 through 11. The first one is it will make you spiritually productive. Uh, the first benefit of pursuing Christ-likeness actively is you will be spiritually uh, productive. Verse 8 makes that very plain. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective, which qu- translates useless or unfruitful. Again, ineffective, useless, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so that's quite the verse, huh? If you don't want to be useless with the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to have these qualities and be increasing in them. Yes? That's what it says. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think most people want to be useless for Jesus. I don't think most people want to waste their lives. But many are wasting their lives. How do we stop that from happening? What, what, what does it say? Have these qualities and increase in them. Make every effort to be growing in them. We must possess them. And that, by the way, as a side note, is a huge, huge encouragement to me as a pastor. It's, it's easy on this day and age, especially with social media, to get caught up into in thinking that effectiveness is large crowds. But here we're told true effectiveness is found in increasing in these qualities. That's the effectiveness. That's what God is looking for. That's what God wants from you. Whether you're a mom, a dad, a husband or a wife, whatever your station in life, what God desires from you is that you have these qualities and you're increasing in them. That's what he wants for you. That's what he desires for you. That's the spiritually productive life. If you're not doing those things, uh, Peter goes on to say in verse 9, a great warning. He says, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. These are hard-hitting verses. <laughs> if I'm understanding verse 9 correctly, verse 9 is saying uh, that if, if you profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're not growing in these qualities, then you don't think very much about God's forgiveness. Is that fair? Because it's saying, for whoever lacks these qualities, what qualities? The eight ones in verses 5 through 7. If you lack these, you're so nearsighted that you're blind, having forgotten that you're cleansed from former sin. So what is that saying? It's saying if you really grasp the sinfulness of sin, the holiness of God, the salvation of God, the forgiveness of sin, that should put a fire under you to be as godly as you can be. If you profess faith in Christ, but you aren't growing... If, if you're lacking these qualities, you're, bear, you're bearing witness that sin and forgiveness doesn't mean a whole lot to you. 
You're bearing witness that Jesus means little to you. Holiness means little to you. You can say that all you want with your lips, but if your actions, if these qualities are not increasing, the Word of God is saying, you've forgotten the Gospel. You've forgotten the great grace and truth of, of, of God's Word because those who treasure being forgiven live in a way that pleases God. Those who treasure Jesus Christ they possess these qualities and make every effort to increase in them. You're not content with a C minus, with, I don't know, love, or uh, a D with uh, steadfastness, or however you want to do that. What you want is, what you strive for, what you're aiming for, is an A plus in all eight of those qualities. And I, I hope we're, we're catching that, that vision. Who wants to be useless for God? No one says that, right? But we're told here how that happens. If you would be productive for him, make every effort. If you would be used mightily by him, make every effort. The second benefit is assurance. Assurance of salvation. We find that in verse 10. Verse 10 says, Therefore, brothers, so notice the affection, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling an election. It's interesting how he puts those uh, in that order, because election, we know, comes before calling, but here he puts calling and election. Calling and election are two wonderful words in the Bible. Wonderful words. Election is God's free and sovereign and gracious choice of us in Christ in eternity past. His choice to save us before there was time, before we did good or bad. Look, God did not look down the corridors of time and see that you would believe in him and therefore choose you. That's not how it works. What God did was, is he looked down the corridors of time and chose, and because he chose, you choose him. He's the cause, not you. Election is a wonderful, amazing truth. And by the way, if he never did that, not one of us would ever be saved. Not one of us. He's the cause. But he did that in eternity past. The calling is when God graciously gave you the gift of faith and drew you toward himself in time. So eternity, eternity past, before there was time, calling at some point in your life. Uh, for me, that was July 2nd, 1998, uh, when I was reading God's word. And the Lord convicted me and drew me to himself. Some of us aren't sure when that time was, uh, but that calling comes in time. Why I'm sharing all that is to say God does not need to confirm your salvation. He chose you and called you. He knows who his elect are. <laughs> He's not up in heaven wondering. Gee, I wonder if that Pastor Andrew guy, you know? <laughs> but, for honest, don't you sometimes wonder? You ever have doubt? You ever wonder? Am I one of his? How do I know that I'm saved? Am, am I really a follower of Christ? How do you know? Well, number one, you believe in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. I, I share that with people all the time. Sometimes I get asked that question, well, how do I know if I'm one of the elect? You know because you believe in Jesus Christ to place your faith in him. But then in knowing him and believing upon him, how do you know that Jesus really saved you? How do you know that your faith and repentance were genuine? Our verses are answering that question. You know because you have these qualities and you're increasing in them. That's assurance. When you see Christ-likeness being produced within you, that's assurance. That's God working his grace in you. 
When you, when you possess them and see them increasing, you're confirming God's gracious calling and election. I think it's very similar to 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, where we read, By this we know that we have come to know him. How do we know that we've come to know him? If we keep his what? Commandments. You want assurance? You keep his commandments. You increase in these qualities. You make every effort in doing so. God in his grace fills you with his assurance. The third one is resilience. The third benefit of pursuing and increasing these qualities is resilience. Uh, we get that from verse 10 because it says, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So there's that walking theme again, right? That's all over the place in the Bible. Uh, the picture here is not, it's not saying, you need to be clear on that when it says, if you possess these qualities, if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. It's not saying you'll never sin. You gotta be really careful with that. It's not saying you'll never sin. The picture is more like a, a, of an army on the march. And the quality in verses 5 through 7 uh, will make you able to keep up with the troops. You won't stumble so you fall out of rank and are left behind. Yes, you will receive battle wounds. We all have those. You will receive scars. But you will be spared any disastrous fall beyond recovery. You cannot and never will lose your salvation. When I read that, I can't help think about 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, where the Apostle Paul says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So the point there is, if you have these qualities and you're increasing in them, you will have resilience. You'll have steadfastness. You'll keep on keeping on. They will strengthen you to walk the walk. And the last one, number four, is found in verse uh, 11. I wish I had time to unpack that one more. Verse 11 blew my mind this week. I think I could preach a whole other message just on verse 11. If you want to hang around around one or so, I could, I could do that for you. Uh, but, but verse 11 says, for, and the fourth benefit is, it's a warm welcome home. Because verse 11 says, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Man, what a verse. If you have these qualities and you're increasing in them, if you can kind of picture like, I mean, the image in my mind is when uh, soldiers come back home from being overseas. And often towns, or even in, in, in the airports, they'll throw a party for them right there, right? There's like this rich, warm welcome and they're bracing each other, they're hugging each other, they're kissing each other. That's, that's the image that's there. If you have these qualities and you're increasing in them, you'll have this rich, warm welcome home well done good and faithful servant well thirdly and i'll hit this quick what does this mean for orangeville baptist church we've talked about pursuing christ likeness actively uh, we, we've talked about the benefits of doing so what does that mean for orangeville baptist church specifically uh, and i'm going to come at this from two angles and i'm going to move quick through this uh, I'm going to come at it from the angle of personal and corporate. Personal, is, but what I mean by that is you need to train yourself for godliness. If, if we're going to be this church that's becoming, it has to start with you personally committing and making every effort that you can to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It has to start personal. If you're just relying upon Sunday morning to do it for you, that's not going to cut it. Uh, it has to be 24-7 on your end. There's, there's a verse that in my personal walk with the Lord has been extremely instructive, and it's 1 Timothy 4-7, and that's the verse that says, train yourself to be what? Godly. 
There's that word again, godliness, Eusebia. I told you, Paul likes it. It's a lot in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy 4, 7, train yourself to be godly. That word train comes from the Greek word gymnazo. What's that sound like? Gymnasium, the gym. That word train, it's a smelly word. It's a sweaty word. It's a gym word. It's God's gym. If you want to be godly, you have to get a spiritual sweat going. You have to get into God's gym. It doesn't just happen. That, that, that's been a powerful verse in my life. And what that verse emphasizes is change does not occur by chance. Change occurs by choice. It occurs by effort. I must choose to make every effort in order that I may change. And I believe God has three, I don't know if you want to say gym equipment things, whatever you call those. <laughs> he has three different things that he uses to help us grow personally. One, he uses people. A God uses others to sharpen you and I more into Christ-like living. If you're married or if you have kids, you know what I mean. Right? I thought I was a pretty loving guy until I got married. And I found out how I'm not very loving. I'm very selfish. <laughs> and my wife says, Amen. <clears throat> if you have children, children put you on a whole different schedule, don't they? Uh, children and marriage, having a family, those are tools of God for your personal growth in Christ. <clears throat> and not just if you're married or have children, this is the importance of belonging to a church body. If you want to grow in Christ-likeness, uh, commit to his local church. People are crucial for change. Secondly, circumstances. God uses circumstances to grow you. The classic text for that is Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So COVID-19, the riots, financial pressures, all these things that are happening, God has a purpose in it to grow you and make you more like Jesus Christ. Without a doubt. Without a doubt he does. And the third thing that God uses for personal change are what I'm calling spiritual disciplines. And this one's different from the other two because this is the only one you can control. You can't control the people who come into your life, and you definitely can't control the circumstances that come into your life, but you can control spiritual disciplines. By spiritual disciplines, I mean things like reading God's Word, praying, uh, sharing the Gospel, uh, worshiping the Lord, serving, fasting. I'm not sure why it is fasting doesn't happen that much, but fasting is an important spiritual discipline. Learning, knowledge, these things are spiritual spiritual disciplines, avenues that God has given you and I that we might make every effort. It's got to start there, those, those, those three things. Train yourself with those things for godliness. But what about us as a church at large? Corporately, we're made to become like Christ together. And I hope you're hearing my heartbeat this morning. I hope you're, you're hearing uh, my, my love for you, my, my, my passion for, for you and myself to be more like Jesus Christ. I, I long and pray for each one of you to become more and more and more and more like Jesus Christ. Uh, it's my great, great passion to, to make every one of us uh, making every effort to grow. And I want everything we do at Orangeville Baptist Church to be towards this purpose. I don't want to just do things randomly. I want everything to be pushing people towards more like Christ, more like Christ, more like Christ. Uh, and so in, in your bulletin, uh, with the sermon notes, uh, if you flip that over, and maybe you've already seen it already, uh, I, I put this in there, and it says, it says becoming on the top of it. And what these are, are six steps. I'm calling them six discipleship steps uh, that we've put together 
uh, to help us grow corporately in Christ. I'm just going to work through those really quick. I'm not going to take the time to expand a lot on them. If you have questions about them, I'd, I'd love to talk more one-on-one. You'll, you'll be hearing more about it as we move forward anyways. But you'll see on there uh, that, that step one, uh, it says pre-evangelism or, or outreach. And it has a picture of the, the seeds going in the ground. Uh, and most of these things we're going to talk about have to do with Sunday morning and with Wednesday night. I especially want to see Wednesday night uh, just be a night that's on fire with community outreach and discipleship. Uh, and I also want to see that happening with our Sunday school. Uh, so step one is outreach, or you could call it pre-evangelism. There's two things I want to do there with outreach. Obviously, and this isn't including the fact that every single one of us should be doing this personally, right? But right now we're talking corporately. Uh, Wednesday nights, there's two things I want to be doing on Wednesday nights. One is on Wednesday nights, I would love to start offering, uh, once everything returns back to normal, I would love to start offering community classes uh, to our community. Uh, maybe you have a passion for gardening and you'd like to start teaching people in the community how to garden. Uh, but you're also going to do that with a God-centered focus and show how uh, God and his word and what gardening teaches us about godliness. And it has a lot to teach us, doesn't it? Uh, there's countless examples. Uh, whatever comes to your mind, some kind of community classes, maybe how to use Excel or Microsoft Office or, or bird watching, right? or something else. We've, we've talked about a, a slew of different ideas. And if there's something on your mind you th and you thought, man, I, I've often liked to teach something like that, thought I'd like to teach something like that, please come talk to me or Josiah. We, we want to get rolling with that and make Wednesday nights a night for people to think of as resource. That Orangeville Baptist Church is the place to go to for Christ-like compassion and care and hope. Uh, we want Wednesday nights just to be a great night for that. Another thing I want to do on Wednesday nights, the community classes would probably be for two-thirds or three-quarters of the year. The raising issues is the other thing I want to do on Wednesday nights, and that would be like once a quarter. Well, what I mean by raising issues is, look, there's a lot going on in our world. Uh, and so by raising issues, what I mean is I want to have nights uh, where we invite the whole community in again, and we're going to talk about what does the Bible say about racism? What does the Bible say about anxiety? What does the Bible say about depression? Those are major subjects, aren't they? And most people have written the church and the Bible off of that stuff. But we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. We believe the Bible has answers and the Bible can change lives. So, so once every uh, quarter or so on a Wednesday night, we want to blast out to the area tonight. We're here's what the Bible says about this subject. And the idea is we're raising the issue to get people to stop and think, wait a second, God's word has something to say there, doesn't it? Just, just getting people to think, raising the issues. And hopefully, through these community classes and raising issues, some people come to faith in Christ. And so then comes step two. Step two on there, I believe, says basics. Uh, yeah, step two is basics. Uh, there's a few different ways that can run, but, but right now it's going to work through what we're calling Equip to Engage. Uh, if you want to know more about Equip to Engage, I'm going to say a few names. I'm going to encourage you to go talk to them. Uh, Charlie Bender, uh, Wes and Karen Visser, myself and Valerie, Brianna, Mike and Tessa Kirkero, Kyle, and Ryan. Uh, <clears throat> I think they're all here today. Um, these, all these people right now are in Equipped to Engage. What's Equipped to Engage? Equipped to Engage is they're meeting once a week, and you can meet anywhere, anytime, whenever, wherever, uh, but we're meeting once a week, and it's, it's uh, male to male, female to female, 
Uh, but we're meeting every week to do four things. One, to talk about the good and the bad throughout the week. Number two, to memorize God's word together. How many of you are doing great at that? <laughs> In that group, however many of us there are, so far we've memorized half of Colossians 3. And there's several of them who would tell you that before this, they've never really memorized much at all. And they're now worked work their way through Colossians 3, 1 through 10 or 11 is where we're at, or farther. How cool is that? And we also get together every week to talk about what God's been teaching us in his word, then we pray for each other. That's all it is. It's, an, it's about an hour long. And what that's designed to be is to help us as Christians keep each other accountable and grow. But that's also designed to be for when people come to faith in Christ, we want them hooking into, equipped to engage. Because then they're going to immediately see what the real walk with Christ looks like. They're going to be reading God's word together. They're going to learn how to pray by imitation. All sorts of great stuff through that. But then that's still not enough, is it? We need the basis, but we need to keep growing. So step three is formation. Formation. And those will run Sunday mornings for, for Sunday school. Step three, formation. That's where we're going through some, some deeper things in the Word of God, just about practical Christian life issues. And then from there is step four, and that's called digging deeper. And step four with, with digging deeper uh, is is all about uh, just going deeper into God's Word. And the plan with that is to go verse by verse by verse by verse through the whole Bible of Genesis Revelation. And just to go as deep as we can possibly go into God's Word. I'm really excited about that one. Then there's two more, steps five and six, invest and intern. Those are going to be next week. Those are part of build, but I put them under become. So I want to see how they, how they move along with each other. Uh, but that's, that's where we're going. That's, that's what we're thinking. And the only other thing I would say about all that is uh, that counseling plays a major role in there also because as Christians, we get stuck. As Christians, we get in these ruts. As Christians, we get in these points where we're not growing and we need help. So biblical counseling is exactly that. to so come along people and to help you, to give you a, a gentle, loving, compassionate push uh, to help you get out of that rut and become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that might be with your marriage, that might be with anger, that might be with depression, uh, that might be pornography. There's a list of things you might be wrestling with and you're stuck, you can't overcome them. Biblical counseling is about coming alongside you, offering Christ-like care and compassion and solutions to help you grow and to help you change. That's what we're doing as a church to help you become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and I'm super excited about those things. And my hope and my prayer is that God will use them to help me and to help you to make every effort uh, to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> For those of you who are still awake, huh? <laughs> uh, to conclude the service, uh, we're going to do what we've been doing. Uh, we're going to sing a song outside. Uh, Josiah has lyrics for you, I believe. Uh, and what we're going to do is dismiss by sections like we've been doing, uh, just to kind of keep it orderly. So we're just asking that everyone just goes, goes out that door, we're gonna make a big circle, and we'll sing a song together, uh, and then we'll be dismissed. So uh, we're, I think we're at the point where we cycled all the way through. So all the way in the back, the back row Baptists, you guys can make your way out first.